How are you all? It's warm today. It's hot. It is a warm, warm day, but it is great to be here with you. Um, I don't know where to begin. Um, I guess I should begin by preaching the message. That's where I should begin. But I don't know where to begin insofar as uh, how gracious you people are. Um, It's hard. Let me tell you, it's hard. Because um, I honestly don't see myself as any different than any of us here. I just feel like I'm a part of the Rock Community Church. I happen to be given this wonderful privilege and and gift to be able to preach the Word of God and to be able to share with you. But I don't feel any different than you. And so last week, when I poured out my heart and I I didn't anticipate what had happened, what had happened, what had happened, uh, I poured out my heart because, um, because of of my concern for us as a body of believers and uh, um, just my concern for where we are as a church. And, and you folks overwhelmingly responded. Um, I did say at the end of the service that I would love to say now, and, and this is hard for me, you, I'll, I'll share with you why in a moment, because um, I don't like to ask anybody of anything. I'd rather do, and then we'll just see what happens. But in this case, for us to give as you gave last week, that was the way we gave when we were at Via Del Rio. That was the way we gave uh, on a weekly basis to be able to have some sort of a stability to say, let's, let's move out of this place, let's find our own church so that we can really become established. And then all of a sudden, everything just kind of fell out underneath us and, and we're trying to figure out how and why and what, what was taking place. And so we... Uh, we have a chance to purchase this, uh, this, this really sweet little church up uh, by, um, I guess it's um, Weir Canyon, uh, by, called the Light of the Canyon Church. It's really a nice little church. It's something I think that would suit us very well. And everything was in order except that all of a sudden we had this bump and, and the banks looked at us and said, well, we, we can't loan you the money because uh, you don't have a consistent giving. And so we don't... We won't be able to give you the loan. And I knew we were better than that. I knew that we, were, we, were, we would give. I knew that we were. And so I pleaded with you last week. And, and what I pleaded was not so much that we gave just last week, but that we would be giving on a regular basis. And so last week, in a, after the service, uh, at the end of the service, I'm going to ask a, a couple come up and share. Um, they came up to me and shared last, last week what what everything meant about giving to them and how it changed their lives. And I believe that is the testimony, I believe, of, of every believer. I believe that God wants to bless us. Maybe not financially, but he wants to bless us. I can, Kay and I could come up here right now and we could tell you that when we were, when we were young and, and we were raising our kids, we, we, they didn't have dental problems, we didn't have medical problems, we, we weren't, we weren't financially blessed by, by money, but we were blessed by our kids and the health and, and all of that. And, and it, was, it was beyond anything that we ever would ever hope for or dream of. And, and our principle that we did, that, that my wife taught me, was how to give unto the Lord. And she has taught me so well that I would be fearful right now not to give unto the Lord. The first thing that we do when we receive 
any check as we give our whatever it is that we have chosen now to give unto the Lord and we give that first out of the first of our fruits, the first of what we get, we give unto the Lord and we have seen him bless us over and over again. And so I'm going to make this an emphasis on today's message, not, not out, of, out of Romans, but at the end of this message, I'm going to try to talk to you again about this, but I promise you, I'm not going to do it over and over and over again. Uh, I am a man that wants to preach the Word of God. You are a people that want to hear the Word of God. And, and we believe that God will do what He will do within our lives. And so I am confident of that. I am more than confident of that. Um, but we are this close, people, this close to getting our own church. And I don't want um, Satan to have victory in this. We're this close. And I, I, want us, I want you folks to have, I want us to have our own place. God has so blessed us over the, over the years that we've been a church that we have been able to save enough money of your money, your money that you have given unto the Lord, that we have enough money saved that we can purchase a church building. That's, that's a good thing. In this economy, that's a good thing. Whoever's in charge of our monies here at this church, it's not me, you should run for president because that's a, <laughs> that's a good thing. To be able to save money in this economy is not easy. And we have done that by the grace of God. But we have only done that because of you. We've only done that because of you. You've been faithful. So I want to call you to be faithful, not for the next week or two, but for the rest of your lives. Because you will end up being the beneficiary of it. God will bless you beyond your wildest dream. I could give testimony to that, and in a little while I'm going to ask a couple to come up and do that. Now, would you please turn with me in your Bibles? Anthony, and you guys, thank you for that music. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. That's, if you really want to know, that's pure, that's what I like. I like just worship, just not a lot of stuff, just hearing you sing. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Last week, we were in Romans chapter 1, and we've now moved to Romans chapter 2. Look at us fly through this book. <laughs> <laughs> Richard, I love your laugh. I do. I do. I love you for that. We are now in chapter 2, but I want to just go <laughs> chapter 1 just for the fun of it. Last, last week, last couple of weeks, we saw what the ungodly man looks like in verses 18 to 32. We first saw what Paul explained of himself being a man who was called to serve the Lord God Almighty as as an apostle. And then he said in verse 6, chapter 1, we're all called. We all have a part in that. And that, that is a blessing. Just think about it. You and I have a, a part in the kingdom of God. It's, it, I don't know what part you and I have. I don't know how big a part, how small a part. It really doesn't matter to me. It shouldn't matter to you. But that we have a part? Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And so Paul says we are all called as an as, as, as people who would be able to serve the Lord and have a part. Well, last week we saw the ungodly man, verses 18 to 32, and, and how far he fell. How far he fell because he lived apart from God. As we saw, he knew better. He, he knew 
in verse 19, God made everything evident to him. And in verse 20, they were without excuse. And what we saw was that without God, man is without hope. That's pure and simple. Without God, man is without hope. But worse, absolutely worse, what we found out last week, in verses 24, 26, and 28, Paul tells us that three times God says that he gave mankind over to their sin. And each pattern of sin we recognized, the, 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 the last one became worse than the other. Eventually it, it led to, the, to man's destruction. And so in essence Paul is saying to abandon God means that he will at some point in time abandon you. And ultimately, we saw last week that man hit rock bottom, and that was in verse 32. And I've, I've made testimony in my life that verse 32, um, not knowing it, was a part of what I was becoming living in Hawaii. But that the man not only willfully commits sin, knowing the outcome is spiritual death, but as it says in verse 32, he not only did the same, but he also gave hearty approval to those who practiced these things with him. Enticing those to sin alongside of him. Well, I say to you, rather than anything else that you might memorize for today, it would be James chapter 4, 8. It's, it's draw to God and he will draw near to you. Let me say that again, because it's, it's a sweet verse to memorize. James 4.8 Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Rather than hearing Paul say, God gave them over, I want you and me to hear, draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Well, today we're going to look to that who says this about the ungodly man the one we studied last week, he says, yeah, I can see why God abandoned them. They rejected him, didn't they? I'd never do that. I'm okay. I just don't need that Savior fella because I'm a spiritual being. I'm a religious person. I'm self-righteous. Good. Good person. And Paul sets down now and two certain principles by which God is going to judge the so-called self-proclaimed good person. Chapter 1 revealed the unrighteousness of mankind. Chapter 2 is going to re reveal the self-righteous person. Let's read about him just in brief. Chapter 2, let's read verses 1 through 6. We, we will not be able to cover all that tonight. It's a good start. Therefore, can I just say something before we begin? So, so you should see all your heads look up. Therefore reverts back to chapter 1. You know that, I'm sure. Therefore reverts back to the wrath of God, verse 18, is revealed uh, uh, um, from heaven against all ungodliness. It reveals back that God made himself evident to them. It, reveals, it, it, it reverts back, is the better word, that they were without excuse. It reverts back, especially to verse 32, that those who practiced such things were worthy of death. 
And they not only did the same, but they gave hearty approvals to those who practiced these things with them. Therefore, you are without excuse, Paul writes. Every man of you who passes judgment, for in that you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. And do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment upon those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepented heart, You are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteousness of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every person according to their deeds. In other words, according to what they have done. Now let's let's take a look at verse one, but first let's pray. Lord, thank you for the people of this church. What happened last week was uh, Well, Father, I don't mean to be gross, but when I am buried, it'll be one of the things that I, I'm sure I will remember before I die. The kindness of this church. The kindness of the people who, who responded so amazingly. Father, it gave me such great hope I can't even begin to express. You know, you know what I feel. I hope the people here do. I pray that you will bless us, Father. I see great things for this place. I, uh, I'm excited for what you're going to do in the life and the hearts of the people of this church. I see people being saved. I see people coming to know you and walk with you and, and making an impact in in this community in which we live. I see a lot of wonderful things happening, Father. All because of the great people of this church who have endured. We've moved from place to place and we've not found our home yet. But I believe it's right before us. I believe it's so close that we can almost touch it. I pray you'll bless us, Father, please. Thank you for every single person here, everyone. And Jesus, oh, Father, please hide me behind the wonders of your word. Move me aside, I beg of you, Father. And would you open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. I pray, Father, in Jesus' precious name, amen. I have a lot running through my little pea brain, and I'm not good at that. I'm a a one-pony parade, I guess you'd say. Therefore, in verse 1, refers back to what Paul just warned us in verse, uh, verses 18 through 20, uh, 32 of, uh, of, of chapter 1. Therefore, Paul writes to the self-righteous person this time. He says, look, they were without excuse, but don't look down on them. He says in verse 1 of chapter 2, you, you also are without excuse, just like them. He says, every man of you who passes judgment for that in 
that you judge another, you're condemning your own self. For you who judge, practice the same things. We saw in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, that those ungodly men were without excuse. God made himself known to them. Well, Paul is saying the same thing to these people. These self-proclaimed, self-righteous, moral people, they too are without excuse. In other words, they can't look down on the ungodly. They cannot look down on those who live a, 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 a wretched lifestyle and say, we're different than them. We believe in God. They don't. And Paul is saying belief in God is not the issue. Why is that? Well, James chapter 2, verse 19 gives a very stern warning. We are told in James 2.19, you believe that God is one, or in other words, you believe that there is but one God. He says, you do well. But he says, the demons also believe, and they shudder. They're scared to death. They shudder because they recognize that the wrath of God, the judgment of God, is going to come against them. And so what Paul is saying is this judgment of God is not going to fall just on those ungodly, those that just don't believe in God, but it's going to fall on the others as well who have a, a misconception of God. The self-righteous, moral person. Paul says you are without excuse. Every man of you who passes judgment. Now every man of you encompasses everyone who think they might be exempt from God's judgment because they think that they have not sunk into this immoral extreme, just as Paul had mentioned. Now, I believe I'm preaching to the choir. I'm not trying to scare any of you because once you come to Christ, you are, you're beyond all of this. I'm just, I'm just sharing to you what Paul has shared to us out of the book of Romans so that maybe we will be equipped to the people we come in contact with that are, are these self-righteous moral people who need Christ. I'm sure you've run into them. I, I know that I have. Uh, somewhere in my own family um, that I had to share with. And one in particular said that she never wanted to speak to me ever again if I'm going to talk to her about God. She's, see, she knew me too well. Which is, which I give her credit for that. She uh, figured I... Uh, I had no right to tell anybody how to live, and she was right on. She, did, she was right. Except that I knew the one who could save us all. I knew Jesus. And I wanted her to know him. So Paul's initial argument here is very simple. He states, in that you judge another, you, you've just condemned your own self. Because Paul reasons to those who are self-righteous, who do not have this walk with Jesus Christ. And that's where it's all going to come to. It's all going to come to where, whether it be the ungodly or those who are self-righteous or to the religious Jew or to everybody. We're all going to have to come the same way. That's through Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of this, the book of Romans. So his an argument with these people in chapter 2 is he says, you must have a standard by which you can judge others. You're saying, they're wrong, you're not. 
It means that you must know the truth. You must know what God has set as being right and wrong. Or are you small g God and have you set the standard when you judge another person? Paul just taught that everybody knows the basic truth about God. Paul taught us that we all know. Paul taught us that every single one of us have this innate knowledge of God. As he said in chapter 1, verse 20, which I absolutely love that, that verse, says, we, we understand God's eternal power by nature. We know that, that He is who He is through what has been made, been had, had been made. So Paul is going to write... Not only do we know by that extreme, look what he writes if you haven't read ahead in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 2. It's amazing. They have a sense of right and wrong within their own conscience. They are truly without excuse, as everybody is. Verse 14, when Gentiles, that means an unbeliever, when a Gentile who does not have the law, watch, do instinctively the things of the law, these, meaning the non-believers, not have the law, they become a law unto themselves. Watch, verse 15, in that they show the work of the law, note where it is written, written in their hearts, written in their conscience, bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately either accuse them or defend them. You know, this verse, verse, these two verses, verses 14 and 15, really give evidence to what we said about, uh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I drew that, that senior moment. Uh, Helen Keller, when, she, when, when, when the, the woman that was, was teaching her finally told her about God, she says, oh, I already know about him, I just didn't know his name. Remember? That's an amazing quote out of, out of Helen Keller's book. In her own conscience, written within her own heart, was this idea of God, this difference between right and wrong. So to say that you know about God and then not live like it, that's, that's a terrible place to be, and I want to warn you and me about that. Because the writer of the book of Hebrews really sends out a very stern warning. Listen to what he says. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26, 27, 28, and 29. He says in verse 26, If we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin but only a terrifying expectation of judgment, the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. It talks about the Old Testament law in verse 28. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Basically, verse 28 is just saying that if you have two or three witnesses that say that you, they've seen you do something, their testimony can condemn you. That's basically what verse 28 is saying. So he says, 
with that in mind, what took place in the Old Testament under the law of Moses, verse 9, how much severe punishment do you think this person will deserve who is trampled underfoot, watch now, the Son of God, has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified or set apart and has insulted the Spirit of grace. Almost everybody in Paul's day knew something about Jesus Christ, no matter where they were. His reputation ran far and wide. It was either his teachings that they had heard about or his claim to be God Almighty. People heard about Jesus. And so to have this knowledge about him and not incorporate it into your life was inexcusable, Paul is saying, because you say that you have knowledge. You say he's saying. Now, you've got to re- realize he's not reasoning against you and me. He's reasoning against this self-righteous person. He's not reasoning against the person who has Christ in their hearts. He is saying, you have this knowledge that you say you have, and yet you judge another, and you are being judged by your own standard, he is saying. He says this so-called knowledge of God's truth that you say that you have makes you more accountable. You should know better. Paul is saying if pagans know some basic truth about God and realize they deserve punishment for what they have done wrong, verses 18 of chapter 1 through 32, they knew they were going to be punished, but they did it anyways. Paul is saying, how much more should you, who claim to be quote-unquote religious or self-righteous, how much more should you know? That's his whole whole idea of of trying to, uh, to reach the people. As verse 1 states, if you judge another person and you miss your own shortcomings, you too are without excuse, he is saying. We're going to talk about this more next week. I I want to get with something else a little more, I think, important for us tonight. But let me just close with this thought. So God says, don't judge another person. But within the family of God, you have every right to judge me. You have every right, since I've told you I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I have trusted in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I open myself up to you to help Judge me if you see me do wrong. In fact, I encourage you, I implore you to come to me. And if you see me in sin, to ask me, what was it that you just did? What was that all about? To see if I will not repent and and ask God and you to forgive me or to ask whomever I must ask to forgive me. But God says we're not to judge others. No, we're to first look at ourselves to see where we stand before God. That's why I believe in our church that small groups, good, true friends, they're priceless. They're the ones who should be telling you and me when we we are wrong. They're the ones who should be holding our feet to the fire. They are the ones who should be holding you and me accountable to walk with God as we ought to walk with Him. No, no. 
I don't think by any stretch of imagination you and I should be judging other people. I think first we need to judge ourselves. We'll talk more about that next week. Right now what I'd like to do is ask John and Kathy Strobel to come up. I saw them come in earlier and uh, they're going to be here at all three services. Uh, last week, um, last week, at the end of the, the service, both John and Kathy came up to me and and I'm going to have to carry this with me because this is some of the notes you gave me. Hi, Kat. Thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate it so much. Did I coerce you into doing this? Okay, John. Did I coerce you into this? No. Okay. They uh, they kind of came to me. Uh, can you? Can we? Should we get up on top? Yes. Let's do that. Let's push this back a little bit. I guess. John and Kathy came to me and said, um, man, what you, I'm going to let you do it. I'm not going to speak for you. I want, I want you to share. I want probably you, knows it no, 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 not as well as you. I would like for you to share with everyone what you shared with me last week at the end of the service. That, that, that would be important. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and before I do that, I just want to let you know I was actually uh, praying for a time to be able to share this with you. And... Okay, sorry. Yeah. I was looking for a time to Thank be able you. to share this with you, and I actually thought we would do it in the old building at some point, but uh, as God would have it, this was the time that we would do it. And uh, anyway, so we, we, we talked last week a little bit about tithing and what was going on in the church and stuff. So I went up to pastor, I whispered in my wife's ear first, and I said, hey, this has got to be it. Will you go up there with me? And she said, sure. So anyway, so we get up and we say, hey, do you remember when? And if, if you've been with John for a long time, there was a time where he brought people up on stage, 10 people to be exact, and uh, two went to one side and eight went to the other side. And basically he said that two people, two out of 10, typically participate with their time, their treasures, and their talents, and the other eight of us come to church. And candidly, we identified with the eight. Yeah. We basically came to church, uh, you know, five or ten bucks, we'd throw in the, uh, the coffer, and every once in a while, if we felt generous, it was a 20. But typically, it was a five or a ten. Mm -hmm. And uh, it wasn't till Pastor brought up Malachi and, and what God really meant for us. And it was confusing at first because I don't want your money, but yet tithing is kind of giving your money, right? So it's like, hey, what, what, what does that really mean? But clearly, uh, as this story unfolds, it was God's blessing that he was looking to give us as a family. So that same day, the day we went to church, and this is uh, when we were new Christians, and we really hadn't read the Bible cover to cover, and we didn't know what God was told us about money. And so that day, the seven or eight people were standing, and we were in the eight, and two were tithing, and we were like, what does that mean? You know, like, are we supposed to be with the two, or are we supposed to be with the eight? Because we didn't know. So if you open your Bibles to Malachi. You want me to help you? Yeah. You got it? Yeah. Okay. I'm going I'm to read out of it, too, <laughs> later. So Malachi, uh, I think it's three, eight. And this is the verse that um, that Sunday when two people were standing in one section and eight were standing on the other side, the pastor John explained to us. It says, 
Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, How have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. He read that, and I was like, wait, whoa, wait a minute here. We're, we could be with the two. We had never heard anything about tithing, and you explained it was 10%. He also explained that when you gave money to God, that it was multiplied. For a new believer, I'm like, that, how does that happen? So, and then Pastor John said, please do not give money if this is not in your heart to give, because God loves a cheerful giver. So these were all new things to us. We had no concept of what that looked like or, or what that meant. And so then Pastor John gave the challenge. Which is well, and that's the part that I liked because he actually gave a guarantee. He said, look, after three months, if God doesn't change your life, I'll give you the money back. Now, he said nothing about interest, just the money. <laughs> <laughs> But that really just changed me. I said, hey, if this guy's willing to step up like that, I can l learn and listen to what he's teaching out of the Bible. So it was December. It was before the holidays. John had just closed up his business. Uh, we had really no money to speak of. It was supposed to be a for-profit business, but actually it wound up to be <laughs> not for-profit. And he wasn't going to have a paycheck until January. And there we sat in church looking at the two people, looking at the eight people and hearing what God wanted us to do. And we thought, well, what could the storehouses look like? What would money multiplied look like? And let's, you know, we desperately need a blessing. So we had $5 in the wallet, cash. That's all we had. So I looked at John and I said, well, that's our last $5. What, you know, like as if it was going to hold us out the whole month, but okay. Just think about that last five you No, know, I mean, that's cra how crazy it was because I wasn't willing to give up the $5. And I goes, nope, we're, we're going to give our $5. So he pulled it out of his wallet. We both watched it go in and go. It's like, well, there it went. See ya. And we were like, okay. He said, test him. And I, I had no, I, I didn't understand what testing God meant. I thought you're just supposed to believe God. I didn't know that we could test him with money because God knows that we love our money. So he says, go ahead, test me. I'm like, all right, we're going to test him. We'll see what happens. So we, we, after service, we went up and hugged Pastor John and said, thank you for explaining that to us. And we told him about our $5, and we were hoping for the best. We didn't know what was going to happen next. So anyway, a uh, couple sequences of, of events that was really significant. Um, I don't know how many are in here are uh, Clippers fans, but... I got a call shortly after that, and a guy that I was going to Bible study with, and he says, hey, look, I got four tickets to the Clippers, and it was just literally like one or two rows you know, from the court. But what the cool part was, we really didn't have money for parking. And if you've ever been there, you pay for parking, right? It included parking. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> so that was a blessing. We're like, wow, God answered that. I mean, we're literally at a church, and his friend is calling, and then... The next day I went to work and, you know, I took my lunch because we didn't have any cash till the new year. And my boss called me into the office very serious. And I thought, wow, oh, no, I, I, there's no way we can lose another job. So I, I was like kind of 
nervous about what he was going to tell me. And he says, you know, this has never happened in the history of the company. And I thought, oh my gosh, we're having layoffs, right? And he handed me an envelope. He said, for the first time in the history of the company, we are giving a second bonus to all of our valued employees. I was like, no way. <laughs> I go back to my desk. I open up the envelope. And how much money do you think it was? Five dollars. <laughs> I gave five dollars. How much? God multiplies money. How much? It was five thousand dollars. <laughs> and I called him. I'm like, God multiplied our money overnight. What's he going to do? And John goes, well, you know, we're supposed to give 10% of that now. And I'm like, okay, we'll do it. <laughs> that's true. That's, yeah, that, that's how that went. And then uh, actually prior to that, I think it was a Saturday before the message was given, we were at Stater Brothers, and there's this goofy-looking Santa Claus guy. Not that, you know, Santa Clauses look bad or anything, but anyway, so he's looking for people to sit on his lap, and I'm just not going to do that. So I send my wife and say, hey, sit on his lap. <laughs> he does it, and we have to put a little thing in the, you know, fill out and, and you know, put, put in the box, yeah, right? They're going to have a drawing, right? So as God would have it, Thursday of that week, we won a little scooter. No. Stater Brothers called us and said, you've won a red scooter. Yeah. No. With helmet. <laughs> With <laughs> helmet. So then we were like, wow, how do we tie that? Uh, we ended up giving that away as a gift because it was Christmas time. Oh, and, great. you know, we, oh, we nice. just yeah. we thought, okay, that's a good way to do that. So um, God just showed up in such a mighty way to show us and to woo us to him, to bless us. And all because we were willing to, to be obedient yeah. and willing to say, okay, we're, we're, we believe you at your word. We are going to test this. And, 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 and what was even better was that the church was blessed because then we were able to send missionaries. We were able to Amen. do certain things inside of the church. And we were blessed at home because we figured, well, if we're giving money, we may as well give our treasure and our time and start serving. And God just just showed up like I couldn't even I, I could never have imagined that he would bless us in so many ways since then have has it been easy to give or are you going to say I'm sorry I'm no, no, not at all it's uh, but I, since then as as time's been go ahead John no 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 no, no, stop you, no, 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 no. it's it, in fact I was going to skip that part and it's really <laughs> true too um, uh, actually I was in between jobs uh, I'd worked for a friend for about a year, and uh, I, I didn't really care for what, but I lived out the year commitment that I made to her to help her. Anyway, long and short of it, I got a small severance check for the, the company, and as that comes in, now I know I'm without employment, right? And I'm wrestling with God going, why would I give a tithe out of this when I'm going to need it next week? I mean, it That's made no true. sense to me at all. I and it. literally, I'm, I, I'm I upstairs on the computer. I do most of those things electronically. And I said, nope, I'm just not going to do it. I'm walking down, get down uh, to the bottom of the stairs. Now, you ever hear the voice? I've got the wife voice, and i got the God voice. And God's going, no, you've got to tithe. I march back up. I cut to 10%, and that's usually what I, I always do it off the top. So, you know, I took it off the top, and... Uh, it was, I don't know, within a couple hours, I got a call that uh, I could go work for this company. And I was with them, you know, well over five years and just switched jobs. So. so 
It's not always easy, I guess, but God always blesses us is the main thing. Go ahead, Kat. Well, that's what I was going to say is that, you know, when we first were, were learning to tithe, it was, again, you know, how much does God need? Does God really need this money? And he, it's not that he needs the money. He needs your heart, and he's trying to, your heart. He's changing your heart to be a giver like him. And the only way that we learn that is because we hold our money so close to our hearts is to give it away. And he asks you to give it away. Bless you. I love you so much. I love you so much. I love you so much, Jim. You want to say any more? That's it? Well, the, the, the only... The, okay. the only thing I, I wanted to add, uh, you know, it's out of, uh, it's really out of the Bible, but 2 Corinthians 9, 8. You have glasses here. Oh, no. <laughs> Reminder. Anyway, uh, 9, 8, that it says, do you really think that you could outgive God? That's it. Well. I'd like to say this was my idea to have John and Kathy come up, and it was not. They came at me, and they almost insisted that, uh, that they share with you um, what, what is happening, in, what happened in their life, and what is happening with us as a church. And, um, and I, uh, I'm so happy that they did that. I'm, I, uh, typically me, I didn't ask what they were going to sp- say so much. I'd, I didn't, uh, I didn't need to know. I wasn't going to double check. I, I just wanted to hear so that you could hear that maybe would encourage you. I, I want to share a couple of things with you uh, out of Malachi, but just a little bit. Just listen. It said, from the days of your fathers, in the book of Malachi, the third chapter of the seventh verse, you, you've turned aside from my statutes. In other words, you, you stopped following me, God told the people, and you've not kept them. Return to me, he said. I'll return to you, he says. It's what we were learning today. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. But you say, how shall we return, asking the Lord? Listen to God's answer to that question. How shall we return? He says, will you rob me? God speaking. Yet, he says, you are robbing me. You ask, how have I robbed you? The Lord answers this question as plainly as possible. He says, through your tithes and your offerings. Then he adds, you are cursed with a curse because you have robbed me. The whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe, as Kathy read to us. Bring bring whatever it is that you reason within your heart. I'm asking you as your friend, not, not as your pastor. I, I love being your pastor. It's, uh, it's, it's, if someone told me I could go back and play third base for the Dodgers or the Angels tonight, but I would have to leave this place and you, I wouldn't go. I would not go. I, wouldn't. I love you way too much. I'm not talking to you as your pastor. I'm talking to you as a friend. Someone who has learned from my wife what it means to give unto the Lord and how fearful I would be not to give faithfully. He says, test me now in this, as Kathy read. 
See if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out you blessings until they overflow. I want to say to you that uh, we are this close to having a purchase a church building. I've, I've been told I'm not, this is not my gift, so I'm, I'm not dealing with uh, light in the canyon. But I was told that we have now a verbal parking agreement, and that was the, that was the issue. Could we park enough cars to have a, a church there? I'm told we can. And we're working now on a final price. But the, but the numbers that have to line up for the lenders, for the bank to give us the loan to, to purchase the rest of that building, has to be that they see a, a consistent giving within our church. So that we would give on a regular basis, not haphazardly. And so I say to you, what, which perhaps I shouldn't say, but I make this vow to you. If you give unto the Lord, I want to be like, your, like a father would his son. Like a father would, or like a papa would his grandson. That he couldn't, couldn't quite trust, you know. I want to help you trust. I want to be your papa. <laughs> I want to help you. And so, as I said back then, that was way back in your Belinda Friends Church, I don't know how many years ago, lots. I'll say again tonight. If you give trusting the Lord for the rest of this year faithfully, and you find by the end of the year that you're in such straits that you can't make it, I will give you back your money. I know that's difficult for us to say because we are... No, I believe God. We'll give you back. I just would love for you to have the faith to trust God week in and week out and watch as the did, as Kay has taught me, watch God bless your life. Now, He might not bless you financially, the blessings come in many different ways, trust me. I'm asking you to consider faithfully giving to the Lord and if it will help you to start this wonderful road of being blessed. We will give you the money back if you ask at the end of this year. Just have the receipts <laughs> so that we can uh, give you the correct amount and, um, of all of that. I don't know if I was... Nah. Should I close in prayer? Am I doing all right? I didn't know you were sitting there. This is the young man. Stand up, would you mind? This young man that's helping us right now. Kendall has uh, been a part of our church for a long time. Am I embarrassing you, no end? A little bit, that's okay. yeah, I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't, I, I, I don't, I really, no, but, but he knows money and uh, dealing with it like... Um, well, better than anybody I know. And he's helped us a lot. And so have I misrepresented anything tonight? Is said fairly okay? Okay, good. I love you. He's a great athlete. Kendall is a great athlete at Stanford. Played water polo. And, uh, and uh, just a great part of our men's group and, and, uh, and all of that. And I, I embarrassed you and I, I am sorry. I could tell by your face that that was, that was not a great moment. Um, do I have to seek your forgiveness? Yeah. Okay. I will. What do I have to do? You can't tell us in front of everybody, so I...
<laughs> I put you on the spot again. Listen, there's, there should be joy in the church. There should be joy. If anyone has a right to laugh and have a good time, it should be us as believers. Because we have our salvation secure in Christ Jesus our Lord. But if there ever should be a people that are committed to seeing great things from a great God, it should be us. It should be us to see fantastic things happening right before our eyes. Let's be a part of that. Let's be a part. As Kathy and John explained, let's be on the the side where 20% of the church usually runs it. Usually 80% of us just kind of tag along. Let's make it, in this church, 100% running it. Just giving of our time, our talent, our treasure unto the Lord. Father, it's always hard to speak about things like that, but John and Kathy made it very, very palatable. And before you, Father, I ask Kendall to forgive me. I did not mean to embarrass him. I am, if that happened, please Please forgive me. Uh, I do love him, though, Father. And I, uh, I don't mean that that's an out. Just because I love him, I shouldn't be able to embarrass him. So I ask your forgiveness, Father. I ask his, too. Now, take us wherever you want to take us this evening. Thank you so much for the people of this church. God bless every single person. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I love you all. Thanks for being here. I love you all so much.